<laughs> it's my French Canadian accent. I think my terribleness though adds to it. Welcome to the world <laughs> of awful French accents. And also, welcome to the podcast, Kicking and Streaming. Uh, I'm your host, John Lake, uh, and sitting across from me at our wonderful coffee table is Kevin Hill. Hello, Johnny. It's uh, great to be here. I'm going to speak in my normal voice for as long as I can. But there will be an accent or two out, especially when we talk about some of the best picture ones. Yeah, I don't want you to disgrace Denis too early in our uh, in our podcast here. But yeah, because he's a friend of the pod. <laughs> yeah, a real friend of the pod, Denis, good guy. Yeah. Um. So, Kevin, how are you doing? How's your uh, How's your week been? We're kind of we're midweek right now, so we are. Why don't you just tell me where you're at? How are you feeling? I'm good. I'm actually dealing with a bit of insomnia this week. Ah. Um, yeah, I I've kinda, been there. I kind of go back and forth. Sometimes um, I will sleep for like 13 hours on a day. I don't have to set my alarm. It's ridiculous, and then other times I have stretches of just uh, only being able to get like five, six hours of sleep max. Really? Which is great because it's like, oh, I get tons of reading and writing done. But then I'm also like but mad at myself. Then you're wrecked the next day. Yeah, but then I'm like mad at myself for not being able to sleep. And then I get mad at myself when I sleep like 10 hours. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I wish I had But I mean, at a certain bad. point, you sleep for so long and you don't wake up really well rested anymore. You feel like you're almost coming out of a little mini hibernation. Yeah. And you're like, ugh. What is what is the world? I gotta reacclimate here. No, I feel I feel what you're saying because sometimes I I gotta get up early and go to work and you know so I'm I'm getting up at early parts in the morning in order to get a jump start on the day and I, I just feel groggy and tired all day and then I'll get back to the apartment or or I'll, I'll, after work I'll go for a run or something and I'll you know watch a TV show that I'm really into and I'll just feel like inspired and just up and I'll see you and Steve and. I'll, uh, I'll I'll finally have my energy for the day once it's like 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. and then I can't and then I can't get to sleep and then I gotta wake up early the next day and start the whole thing over again. Life, man. Yeah. Life. Life. Uh, I think uh, I think we could learn a little some life lessons from the movie that we watched uh, a few short days ago. Oh, are you uh, referencing <laughs> Jaws: The Revenge? I am indeed referencing Jaws: The Revenge. I oh. think some life lessons we could learn from that movie. Uh-huh. Are uh, three is a good number to stop at <laughs> for the Jaws movies? Yeah, yeah, and and uh, a trilogy is good. It's uh, a trilogy the, is a good. What's round, it called after trilogy? A quadrilogy. A quadrilogy. I don't know if that's a real word. It's like a alien, alien franchise. They should have stopped after three, but they kept going. There's an argument to be made for the newer movies that are kind of outside the original. We're not going to get into well, that. That's a thing. According for to Ridley day. Scott, they're not alien movies. That, Prometheus is not an alien movie, even though there's aliens from the alien universe in it. And of course, Alien Covenant, I guess that's not an alien movie either, even though it's titled Alien Covenant. Didn't Ridley Scott direct Alien Covenant? Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> um, so Jaws the Revenge was an awful movie that I kind of enjoyed. Uh, in, the, in the time since watching it, um, yeah. I've been my, my mind has been filled with thoughts of... of uh, animatronic sharks and uh, wardrobes with ample shoulder pads mm-hmm. and charming Englishman named Hoagie. There's a lot of good, like, bit potential things that were in Jaws Revenge and things to make fun of. Yeah. It reminded me um, back to Naomi and Eli's a bit, which I will always talk about. <laughs> that is your baby, my, man. <laughs> it was my first time. <laughs> but... I mean, you, that's the best thing about a bad movie is when you have, like, things that stick out and you can make fun of. Right. 
Um, so was there anything in particular that stuck out for you? I I think I kept going back to like the last 10 minutes of the movie mm-hmm. um, where they're like at the ceremony for the art being unveiled oh, yeah. and then like they're at the beach and the shark starts at the attack at the beach and immediately Ellen Brody's like I need to just I need to get in a boat and I gotta go attack this thing. I gotta go at this thing for once and for all. Was it attack this thing or was it more get it away from everybody else? Because I thought that's why she took out the boat, which she okay. was like, I gotta get the shark away from everybody. Well, I can see that as well. See, but there was no indication why. She just kind of went to the boat. Yeah. It was very strange. Um, I, I appreciate, I think I think it was brave. I think it was probably just like a, I have to accept my fate. It's either me or the shark kind of yeah. thing. I mean, in the whole movie, she's, she's insistent that the, uh, it's just tracking her family. So we're talking about a shark with a true purpose and vendetta here. And mm-hmm. the only way to go at that kind of, you know, that kind of narrative device is to end it. Yeah. Well, did you think her and the shark were linked? Or were they just like, oh, crap, we've only got like an 85-minute movie. Let's fill the remaining four minutes with stock footage and, oh, you know, non-licensed, uh, heavy-charging scenes from the original Jaws movie. Yeah, I loved all those flash- like flashbacks, and, like, it almost felt like this, like trying to give us the shark's perspective. Uh-huh. Like, so it was almost being, it was almost a shark apology for a while there, and I, I sort of felt bad for the shark, you know? It's yeah. like Steve said, it had to have gotten a little tired swimming all the way down to the Bahamas, but it's yeah. like... <laughs> Uh, I just I don't know why my shark brain is like I need to just kill this whole family and it's I'm I'm a I'm the slave to my own desires. And it, well, it's not even the same shark from the original Jaws. Well, is it like you call it uh, Jaws Junior? Jaws Junior <laughs> or something like that? Yeah. Well, I, I have no idea why that shark remembered uh, uh, Chief Brody in the original. Yeah, Chief. Uh, Chief. And um, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know do you so do you think that like the shark and ellen brody were like kind of like telepathically connected or well, something they, it was <laughs> well on that boat they were doing those scenes like do you remember did you used to watch lost i never show? watched lost actually oh well they would do the scene on lost where they did flashbacks every episode like a character's flashbacks okay so they just focus on one character's flashbacks and in lost they would do this thing where the character would stare off into space for like two or three seconds mm-hmm. and they would play this mu- music like and then it would like cut to a flashback and that's how you knew it was going to be a flashback of that character okay because like they would stare off into space for a few seconds so that's what i was picking up from this was like ellen brody would just stare into space and then suddenly we got like and then a, all of a sudden a jaws she's... like an original jaws flashback or like yeah kind of like from a scene she wasn't in they did the uh die son of a scene i'm just like First of all, that shark doesn't remember because it wasn't there. Yeah. And Ellen Brody doesn't remember because she wasn't there. <laughs> so who's it for? I mean, it's total fan service. Fan service, I, think, I guess. I think we yeah. can acknowledge that. I think it was an underwritten script, and they were like, oh, crap, we have to uh, fill some time here. Another part of the movie that I kept thinking about was when, like... So they met Hoagie originally when they're flying right to the island, right? Yes. But then he re he kind of re enters, just like walking up with his little his little dinghy. Yeah. Like just sidling up with his with his slacks rolled up, his mm-hmm. nice, you know, coiffed gray hair and looking he's, uh, very British expat. Yeah, looking very ex expat and and he just walks up and down the beach with, with Ellen Brody, like her telling him her her trials and tribulations, yeah. and I was like, Wow. 
I mean, this is like a this is like a real guy. This might be like the guy to settle down with. This might, like Ellen Brody must have oh, locked out. No, dude, we need to talk about this. What? Because I have I at first I while watching the podcast or watching Jaws Revenge and recording the podcast, you know, you're rooting for the uh, Hoagie Ellen Brody romance. Of course. And then I thought about it, and I realized so. Her son basically dies right before Christmas because of the Christmas caroling. Right, yeah. So let's say December 23rd, okay? Sure. They literally, the son comes home, then they go to the Bahamas, and they're in the Bahamas for at least two or three days before New Year's Eve. Right. So literally, it's like a 10-day span before Ellen Brody's like burying her son and then being like, oh... Oh, this hoagie's trying to charm me. Hey, I man. I like it. I, I don't know. If my mom... I'm not in no place to judge. If I got eaten by a shark and my dad died, like, I would hope my mom well, would see your dad warn me for a few your more than a week. Your dad would have died a, a few years before that. Yeah. No, that's fine. Around about 15 or so, but if we're talking if, original Jaws. So. If I just died, like, come on, Mom. Mourn me for at least a month. People mourn and grieve in different ways, Kevin. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but, Helen was clearly... <laughs> she, she was finding out how she mourned best. Yeah. You know how she mourned best? Like, pretending she was fine with Hoagie and then bringing up that sharks killed her family and then dancing. Yeah. What, mm-hmm. what did we say? Um, the whole movie was just uh, scenes of people talking to each other and, and one person saying something and the other one being like, nah, I don't think you need to worry about that. Yeah. Or a character being like, you do need to worry about that. <laughs> She's pretty much just like, the one game, scene right? Where... He, was, he was a good guy. He came in and was like, no, that's that's a, that's a real concern that you're scared this shark is, is attack is, is has a vendetta against your family yeah. and is tracking down your family and trying to kill all of you. Mm-hmm. I, I, I acknowledge that as a real life struggle and I'm sorry you're dealing with that. And he's like, come on, Ellen, let's have a drink. <laughs> he I seemed kiss like you. a good guy for her. He's like, uh, I just want to kiss you right now. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't know. I I think, uh, I guess grief does work in mysterious ways, but, you know, her, her son did just die. Well, we know, we, we know how you feel, Kevin. Any any final thoughts on Jaws? Any uh, lingering questions? Any Anything else to say about our fourth hate watch? I, it made me, weirdly enough, want to watch Jaws 2 and 3. Uh, again, just to get the story building up to it. But then I thought about having to take the time to do that, and I was just like, nah. Nah. (laughs) (laughs) There's no time for that. That's the same way I am with, um, like, the the prequel trilogy for Star Wars. You've never seen it? No, 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 I've seen it. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, you know, if you want to go rewatch and and remember, you're like, well, because it's, you know, it's a part of the whole thing, but it's just, like, nine hours. No, thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, without further ado, let's uh, let's select our next hate watch. Let's select our next kicking and streaming um, pod movie. Well, we have to give a shout out because we got our first. That's true. Suggestion, Holly Klopchen of Yonkers, New York. Thank uh, you, Holly. Thank from you the bottom of my heart for thank submitting you. the murder on the Cape. And uh, I have to say, this is a great submission. And do you want to know why, Johnny? Tell me why, Kevin. It has a 2.7 stars out of 10 on IMDb. Are we, did we, do we know what streaming service it's on? 2.7, Amazon Prime. Okay, what's its rating on Amazon Prime? Uh, I'm not sure. Okay. I just look at the IMDb. But in terms of like IMDb, 
That's bad, man. Like, usually nothing yeah, really goes bad. below a five because some people are like, this is fun, you know? <laughs> but this, apparently, 2.7 stars on IMDb. So I think that is definitely worthy of uh, the bucket or the bowl. Good. Yeah. Good hate watch. Um, so we're going to use our adopted, or our new system. We're going to pick three. Uh, is it your turn or my turn? Um, I think I picked last time. I remember picking no, I picked time. Jaws the Revenge. No, no, no. I picked it, but you were excited about it. Are, are you sure? Well, it's too late now, so I'm going to pick again. Go go right ahead. All right. We've got... Uh, we still got some suggestions in here from the original Netflix. And we're still short a bowl in our cabinets. Yeah, so please, um, we cannot stress this enough. Please. <laughs> if you just... Please, just... Pick pick a bad. Everyone knows a bad movie. And honestly, if 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 we get sent recommendations for a bad movie, and we get time to like you know just Google search it and look into it and and see that it's actually truly awful. I wouldn't be opposed to just not even picking one, just taking one on recommendation straight up. You say that now, but then uh, you're gonna watch a another uh, show undercover and question your faith in the pod. Honestly, I won't question faith in anyone if they're if they're listening to this and and actually emailing us and actually listening to listening to us. That's uh, I can't disrespect that in the slightest. Fair enough. So Kevin, why don't you why don't you give us our options? All right, we got three choices here. Number 1, Expelled. Expelled. Do you have any recollection as to what oh, Expelled no. is about? God no. All right. Well, I have a little blurb here. It's an American teen comedy feature-length film written and directed mm -hmm. by Alex Goyette. Uh, the film stars Cameron Dallas, Matt Shively, mm -hmm. Leah Marie Johnson, Marcus Johns, Andrea Russett, yep. Christina Hayes. Of course. Kicked out of high school, a prankster hatches a plan with his brother and some friends to convince his parents that he is a good student. Is this a Disney Channel? Or is it, uh, it's like a kid's movie? It's, I don't, no, it's not a, it's not a Disney channel. Hmm. Well, you know, uh, maybe he was unfairly expelled? This is another, uh, Naomi and Eli area, like, mm -hmm. late Obama era film, 2014. Oh, okay, yep. Yeah. Back so when Obama was like, just make whatever you want. <laughs> Yeah, personally, he was he like, yeah. he, he was he went out and he was like, all you low budget, aspiring filmmakers that want to make movies about mm -hmm. shitty teenage kids with their shitty stupid problems, I'm giving you the go ahead. That's what he said. Yeah, I remember that speech. Ke Kevin, I don't know this. This one might give you flashbacks to Naomi and Eli, so let's not. That's not. not oh, I'm not. Way. I'm not like. Ooh, I'm not like Jaws or Revenge on that. Where I'm like, <laughs> yeah. All right, let's uh, let's hear another one. Next is The Lovers. The Lovers. The Lovers. I imagine there's a few movies called The Lovers. Yes, yeah, so look up Lovers Netflix Bad, for chance. <laughs> uh, this one's from 2017, so uh, this might be it. Is it on Netflix? Oh, dude. Tracy Letts is in this. Oh, that the, that can't be it. <laughs> no, you don't think that so? That can't be it, because Tracy Letts is an award-winning actor and playwright <laughs> he wouldn't be in something terrible he was the dad in Lady oh Bird. oh wait 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 there, okay so there's another one a magical ring holds the key to life death and love for a marine archaeologist who seems to live two lives in different centuries and countries yeah that's it that's it right <laughs> <laughs> <For sure. laughs> okay all right let's see your number three 
Wait, is there any info? You have some actors? What more do you need, Kevin? I don't know. <laughs> Sounds like a winner to me. Alright, let me, uh, I'll, let me, uh, let me just, I'll see some of the actors if I, if I can, if I can get them here. Oh, no, it just took me to Netflix. Yeah, because it's just like, oh god, please click There's on this. There's no search results for him. We need clicks for this, please. Alright, give us number three. Number three is Camp Rock. Camp Rock. Camp Rock. Oh, boy. Do you think this is kind of like School of Rock, except at, at camp? camp? Uh, I would bet money on it. This looks like, uh, oh, my God. Yeah? What are we working with? <sighs> oh, shit, man. Celebrity singers Joe Jonas, Kevin Jonas, and Nick Jonas coach aspiring musicians All at a special three. summer camp. The trio is... All three! We, they got the band back together. All three of them! <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, there's going to be a lot of singing in this. All right, so the options... We <laughs> I just stopped there. The options we have in front of us are Camp Rock, mm -hmm. The Lovers, mm -hmm. and uh, Expelled. I'm going to vote Let's... Camp Rock. Wow. I was gonna, I was gonna say we should vote one off, and I was gonna say let's <laughs> vote off Camp Rock. <laughs> I don't know if I could do some like millennial like redemption story again. That's fine. So I'm... I'd rather do Camp Rock or The Lovers. I think we should watch The Lovers, man. The it, Lovers. I think it's a departure from anything we've watched. But yet. we're going in pretty blind here, Johnny. You have not I given think... much description of The Lovers. All right, The Lovers, twenty fifteen. Here we go. Throwing <laughs> okay, all right, all right. Yeah. <laughs> Give me a second. Oh, boy. After a dangerous dive to save his wife while exploring an 18th century merchant ship wreckage, Jay Fennell, a rugged and attractive marine archaeologist... Oh, they threw an attractive thing. Yeah, apparently he's attractive. He lies brain dead... What? ...in a Boston hospital. Boston? He's in a Boston hospital. Jay's dreamlike coma takes us back to time in... Pune, India, in 1778. What? The Brits are invading the palaces and a young British captain named James Stewart, who bears a striking resemblance to Jay, <laughs> is about to embark on a dangerous mission. Along the way, he encounters murder, deceit, betrayal, and revenge. All right. He falls deeply in love with an Indian she-warrior oh, named it. Tulaya, an impossible love which he... I'm not going to click to see more. Okay. Well, that was, uh, that sounds pretty interesting, but you know it's not going to go well. It's in our uh, little bowl of bad movies. So is Are that you cool with that one? Are you feeling the lovers? I'm feeling the love, Kevin. Okay. All right. So that's going to be it. We're going to watch the let's, lovers let's, next uh, week. Let's watch this basically a ripoff of Outlander. <laughs> All right. So, uh, next episode, we're watching not the 2017, probably good Tracy Letts f film. We're watching the movie, The Lovers, 2015. What if we just watch the Tracy Letts one? No, No, okay, it's, that's gonna be a good People want to listen to people hear wanna, us suffer. People want to people wanna see the chaff. We're on a quest, Johnny. We're on a journey, just like James Stewart, no relation to the actor in this movie, The Lovers. We're on a journey to find... The worst bad movie of all time. The worst? The or worst the best? Hmm. Perhaps the best. Perhaps. Mm -hmm. 
So, um, Kevin, there were a couple other things we wanted to talk about today, and one that we'll just touch on quickly so we can spend some time in the Oscars. Yes, is... this is our big Oscars episode. Yes, this is the big Oscars pod. Um, Get your ballots ready, because we're picking them all correctly. <laughs> yeah, print them out right now. I'm sure you print. can you go on Google, just print out a little, you know, a little PDF of... Uh, just some an Oscar ballot, you know. Mm-hmm. Get your friends together, have a party, get some chips and dip, Do and a, uh, a pool or a contest. Yeah, bet on it. Yeah, that's always fun. Makes things yeah. entertaining. We yeah. want to. You wanted it's to. Four hour night. You wanted to talk quickly first about um, Snapchat yeah. and a little interesting thing that happened to them last week. So do you want, do you want to just? Well, I'm sure tons of people have heard about this, but uh, Snapchat obviously updated uh, their app, and I. Used to use Snapchat quite often, and now I'm thinking about getting rid of it. Okay, so you, so you're a test case. You were using Snapchat for a while. They up they, had, they didn't update. They updated their interface, mm-hmm. made things a little more. From what I heard, made it easier for better for advertisers, not as good for just individual personal users. Yeah, and you know that's always the best next move for a social media app. Yeah. Is to move away from the user friendliness. Yeah. And uh, really just cater to the Just go for the money. Yeah. And, it's usually the best way to do things. And I, I don't like that when you pull up immediately, you're just given these, you know, jagged tiles of things you need to watch now. And it's, it's kind of uglier now. Um, and, uh, you know, I kind of just liked it because I would get weird snaps from people. And I think Snapchat was more like the weirder photos and the weirder videos. Do you so uh, versus Instagram, which always seemed more professional to me, or like I don't know if you th- more if you man, that. more manicured maybe. Yeah, and Snapchat was always kind of more personal stuff. I mean, basically started off with dick pics. Let's be honest. Yeah, and uh, you know, evolved into a you know a very big multi billion dollar company. Yeah, but they they had some issues last week. Yeah, apparently uh, Kylie Jenner was like, "I'm never opening it again." And Wall Street uh, <laughs> heard her. Yeah. They were like, oh, shit. And, uh, yeah, Snapchat's stock dropped by 6%. 6% in one day, in and one they day. lost $1.8 billion just like that. That's Not that we're, like, saying boo-hoo for companies or anything, like big, you know, publicly traded companies mm-hmm. or anything. We're not... We're not crying for the board members or the you know president and CEO of Snapchat or anything, but it is interesting and crazy. Yeah, that someone who does nothing for a living except just exist as a part of her family mm-hmm. just says something on another social media platform, and immediately the world is like, "Yeah, you go, guys. I think she might be right." Yeah, and <laughs> <laughs> I did a hilarious face there, uh, but. Uh, yeah, you know, because, like, we live in a city where, like, everybody and their cousin is, like, a social media influencer. That they are. Quotes. Yeah. And uh, so you're kind of like, oh, yeah, what can you influence? But then you realize, oh, if you're, like, one of the most social media, like, the biggest social media influencer, you can ruin the stock of a company. Yeah. People who invest in this to, like, make money over time just because Kylie was like, I'm not open it anymore. And then immediately tweeted, like, later, like, JK, will do. You're yeah. still my first love. Yeah, Snapchat. she walked it back. She was like, JK, she was like, you're my first love, though. Like, for real, I, I, I still love you. <laughs> it was like, I don't know. And if she got a call from somebody, yeah. and they're like, hey, uh, you gotta fix this. Uh, uh, uh Kylie? <laughs> uh, Kylie? You gotta fix uh, this. Uh, George called? Uh, you gotta fix this. <laughs> that type been going down for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, Kylie, I don't know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> if you do not know by now, we do the impression of the two deputies from Stranger Things all the time. Not, not, not even just on the, probably the majority of the time not on the podcast when we're not recording ourselves talking into microphones. We do this impression of each other at least probably <laughs> three times a day. Three times a day minimum. Yeah. Um, so does it, this kind of thing where a, a, just a person, I mean I shouldn't say just a person because obviously Kylie Jenner is a famous person and uh, obviously has a lot of social capital, like. It, does it freak you out at all that some something like that can happen to... Or, or is it just a, the social media company kind of thing? Like, is that what makes Snapchat fragile? Is that they're all about their users? They necessarily have to be? Well, I, I think that um, uh, it is a little freaky that someone like Kylie Jenner can do that. It shows you how much, you know, imaginary but consequential power a lot of these social media um, influencers have. And I'm not talking about, like, Brad from your, you know, Soul Cycle class who has 10,000 followers. I'm talking, like, Trump, uh, you know, the Kardashians. Uh, LeBron. LeBron. Uh, a lot of times these are used... Uh, Melissa, Alyssa Milano recently. Oh, yeah. She's literally, like... She's, she's jumping going big. every cause. Yeah. Um, just kind of shows you how they have this power and... Um, Sometimes it can be used in the correct way, and sometimes it can be used incorrectly and affect people who have no power on social media. That's definitely a scary thing. There's definitely people who invested in Snapchat and lost money that day because of yeah. Kylie Jenner. Yeah. JK. <laughs> still my first love, Snapchat. Yeah, it's still my first love, though. Yeah. So are, will you, you are a user of Snapchat, will you continue to use it? Are you... I don't swayed know. by Kylie's words. I think one of my goals is to wean myself off of uh, most social media by the end of this year. Uh, and I mean, that includes Facebook uh, and Snapchat. I think Facebook, I could almost go without nowadays. It's it's just about for me. It's just about like, oh, whose birthday is it, and, are, and like, is there an event to meet up with them somewhere in New York? Yeah, literally, it's pretty. It's like it's like tell me it's someone's birthday that I haven't seen in a while, and I text them, or tell me that yeah. there's an event tonight that I RSVP to. Yeah. When you get like that uh, lump in your throat, you're like, oh shit, is it that person's birthday? And then like Facebook is like yeah. the, your yellow pages of like birthdays of your friends. <laughs> yeah, just like. Oh, shit, and then you send them a text. You know? Yeah, you get the notification on Facebook, but you don't address it on Facebook. It has personal. been sad to see the decline of, like... Because, obviously, I think most people will check Facebook the day after their birthday to see you posted on it. Yeah. Um, it is funny to see, like, the decline of, like, junior year of high school, you know, 300 people wish you happy birthday. That's crazy. And then slowly over time, it's just, like, 17 people who are kind of on Facebook that day. <laughs> yeah. 11, which are family members of yours who are over the age of 40. Yeah. Wished you a happy birthday. Yeah, I never... I never got that much into Snapchat, and I, I find that Instagram is just as useful. You know, it has its uh, permanence in, like, the page, as well as kind of, like, the Snapchatty features, like mm -hmm. the feed and the... And your stream or whatever, you know, how you call it, going, going live and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I think Instagram is probably a little more stable than Snapchat, too, because they're owned by Facebook. It, they're a little bigger and more of a mainstay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I like that the most of the big four right now. 
What are the big four? Twitter, Facebook. Snapchat. I don't know. I made up the term "big four. I'm sure there's been like a <laughs> Sorry, term I didn't like mean that I used immediately. <laughs> I didn't mean to immediately debunk your uh, yeah, no. your words or anything. Um. All right. Well, let's let's get to the the real meat of the episode. Our main story. Yeah, it's exciting. I'm excited. Are you excited, Kevin? I'm excited. I mean, I do kind of like enjoy watching the Oscars. I always watch at uh, my friend uh, Aurora and Ryan's uh, party they have every year. Mm -hmm. We do a pool where if you want a second ballot, you have to donate to a charity that is whatever, as they say, fresh hell we're in this that week. Yeah. So um, it's like charity, and then the person who gets the least amount correct on their ballot uh, has to buy the person who got the most correct uh, dinner. So it's a very low stakes, but like fun thing. Nice. I've infamously lost by like one pick mostly every year. Wow. And uh, one year I was declared the winner, but the uh, real winner was blackout drunk and uh, incorrectly counted up there. <laughs> I thought you were going I thought you were saying he was black and I was like, so this is the moonlight situation. No. You were no. declared the winner too yeah. early, you Ryan Gosling look alike, and then Yeah, Warren Beatty. And then it turned out it, it was they, actually it was owed to a black guy. Yeah, Dunaway it was like, like she was just like Emma Stone. Kevin Kevin, Kevin you won. <laughs> and they're like, Oh no, I'm sorry, this is a huge mistake. Actually yeah. actually Matt won. Mm -hmm. So you look at the ballot. Report. Yeah, John Legend had to walk off stage. So, do you want to just start in by talking about some of our favorite movies of the year? Not necessarily going yeah. by you well, know best picture or any any category, but just like the movies that we watched and what we enjoyed. Yeah. Do you want to start? Um, I think what I can remember earliest this year, as far as the movies that are still with me, definitely Get Out. I mm -hmm. think that came out in now. Be a big spring topic. Yeah, that'll be a big Oscar topic choices. at the Oscars. You know, it was a little bit more of a non traditional, say like. You know, Oscars film. Obviously, it, it had a huge impact socially on, on like the United States and mm -hmm. politically, and and it's still you know talked about basically day to day with like at least the people I know and on social media and that sort of thing. And it's it's a very interesting, obviously, analogy for where we're at right now in the United States as mm -hmm. far as race and class and that sort of thing. Yeah. Very much so. What about you? You got any others? Uh, any, anything to add about Get Out or, or any other movies? Well, we'll get into Get Out because I think there's one category that is probably going to win in. Okay. Uh, of the uh, major categories. Um, my, I mean, I'm going to say my two favorite films of the year. One is nominated for Best Picture and one uh, got no nominations for any Oscars. Uh, so which one would you prefer me to start with? Go with the no nominations. Uh, I'm going to say this film, Good Time, oh, which is the Robert Pattinson. I still haven't seen that. Uh, which is basically like a New York thriller. It mostly takes place in Queens. Uh, it is directed by the Safdie brothers, who are like kind of two young, up-and-coming like New York uh, filmmakers. I I loved it because I've never felt more like I was going to have a panic attack than watching this movie. I've heard the movie is just like nonstop, just edge of your seat yeah. Robert Pattinson does great with his you know just his faces and the colors of the movie are mm -hmm. outrageous and I don't know it is it, it's the type of movie that like you need to watch with uh, you know a blanket around you because you're going to be putting it over your face I was unfortunately <sighs> seated in a theater and <laughs> gripping like the handles and like it freaked me out it freaked me out to go home like 
New York, you know, like everyone's like, oh, New York is such a character, and usually like it's a lovely romantic comedy character. Yeah. In this film, New York is a bad, scary, formidable, you know, unknown monster, and you're just not knowing kind of where you are, you know, because like when we watched Naomi and Eli's Kissless, I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, <laughs> we can point out places, and yet this takes place in New York, and you're just kind of like, this is New York, and this seems more like a force than yeah, you know, a definable location that's place. a really good that's really interesting and i really appreciate that that uh analogy or comparison that's yeah. very interesting i um i i, I definitely identify with yeah. what you said about it being like a, its own character and usually you know in rom-coms or something up you now light yeah. light-hearted upbeat it's like oh yeah. city girl or city yeah. guy but i can i can see those dark slivers those dark edges every once in a while and to just really dive in there for you know 100 120 minutes yeah i want to do that to myself mm -hmm. it's definitely like a tribute to old style new york thrillers um and i think it it's not a fun movie for sure <laughs> it's an exciting movie would you say very exciting but also leaves you kind of while you're watching it with a sense of foreboding and a sense of dread okay uh, and it's one if you watch uh, with some friends, you're definitely gonna want to crack a beer open after and talk about more just to calm yourself down than anything. Cool. And then my favorite film this year, and I'm coming into this. Well, do you want do you want to yeah. just hold that one until we talk about best pictures? Maybe. Yeah, because I think you know which I'm gonna choose. I, I figure, and I've yeah. I've got some things to say about it anyway too. Okay. Um, I think another movie that I saw this year that I. I, it definitely didn't get any of the big nominations. It might have gotten something for like, sound. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll just get into it. But Thor Ragnarok mm. to get into the the comp the sorry the um, action movie you know genre. Thor Ragnarok. I had heard buzz uh, when it came out that it was not a normal action you know superhero movie and it lived up to everything that I heard. It was hilarious, uh, written or written and directed by Taika Waititi, who... Who's like the third Flight of the Concords. Yeah, he might as, he, he wrote everything for Flight of the Concords, very close with... Uh, he directed a few. Yeah. He, was, he did that uh, What We Do in the Shadows, which is one of the funniest movies of all time. Yeah, and it, it was just funny and um, lighthearted and put the kind of character of Thor in a new context and it was exciting and different and, and enjoyable and it, and it didn't abandon good story for the comedy either it uh, it it still told a good story it introduced us to some new characters that were fun and Taiki Waititi even played a, a very funny like rock type creature um, <laughs> on the uh, planet of Scar I believe it was I don't know I haven't seen it now I want to. Sakar. Sakar is what it was called. Sakar. Yeah. You should see it. Um, so any other movies that we really enjoyed this year that won't be necessarily hitting it big at the Oscars? Hmm. Um, there's a few recommendations, but, uh, you know, a lot of the Oscar films this year were ones that a lot of people enjoyed. It was kind of so diverse and, um, you know, coming from different categories, sci-fi, horror, coming of age. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Americana, that there was so much for people to kind of like, if you like this type of genre, a lot of these stuck out. Yeah. Uh, especially the Best Picture nominees. 
So of the Best Picture nominees, which I will read out shortly, we're going to talk about which... Well, should we save the big one for uh, last? Okay, well, you just put it right there in the rundown, Kevin, so that's what I was going with. Okay, well, maybe <laughs> let's start from the bottom. What's on the bottom of the list? We're not going to go through all of them, but uh, surprisingly, we're going to go through a few of them. So uh, we have it in here to just bring up Roger Deakins again, who we talked about last week. He won the BAFTA, and he won the American Society of Cinematographers Award. ASC Awards. So, I mean, it is his to lose now. Uh, I really hope he does win it, because I think that will make a better Oscars. Uh, But we shall see. uh, Rooting for you, Roger, on Sunday. All right, so now we'll jump into Best Adapted Screenplay. Sure. Um, do you have that in front of you, Kevin? Can you read out the nominees? Yeah, and it's very easy to predict who will win this. Uh, the nominees are Call Me By Your Name, The Disaster Artist, Logan, Molly's Game, and Mudbound. And, uh, mark this on your ballots, because it's a clear favorite. It's gonna win. Yeah. And it's interesting because none of the other four nominees are nominated for Best Picture. And, uh, while in contrast, the original screenplay category has four nominees for... Four of the nominees are for uh, also nominated for Best Picture. Well, do you think that's... Do you find that odd? Well, uh, usually Best I think Picture... that sounds reasonable, right? That a, a completely original work is looked at more favorably than something, you know, brought in from a different medium. Yeah. For sure. But it's usually not that big of a discrepancy. Usually okay. with screenplay, there's... It's, it can be boiled down to, like, two choices. But uh, with adapted screenplay, easy peasy, calling by your name. He's going to win. Yeah, and that was definitely one of my favorite movies of the year. I don't know if I'm ready to say I think it was in, like in the conversation for Best Picture. I mean, obviously it's a nominee, but I don't know if it's one of the stronger horses in the pack. I think it's, unless we get something crazy with Chalamet, I think this will be the only award uh, Calling By Your Name wins. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, but of those other nominees... I saw Mudbound. Mudbound was great. You saw Mudbound. Yes. Really great Netflix movie. One of those Netflix movies that like didn't just go straight to Netflix because, you know, no, none of the other studios really wanted to pick it up. Mm-hmm. I, I think it just it went to Netflix and it was a real gem. Had some really good acting performances. Um, Garrett Hedlund, uh, one of my fave guys got, out there. We both got man crushed on Garrett Hedlund. We Hedlund, both I think. definitely do. Mary J. Blige does great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jonathan Banks is like a really good uh, super racist grandfather. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, what's our next category? Uh, let's do the other screenplay because this is a lot more interesting. Uh, best original screenplay. The nominees are The Big Sick, if you didn't know, because uh, Camille Nanjian tells you everything on Twitter. <laughs> uh, Get Out, uh, Lady Bird, The Shape of Water, and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. So four out of the five of these are mm-hmm. are best picture noms. And everything sorry, except for the Big Kumail Six. and Emily V. Gordon, but uh, Big Six got no shot. At uh, this? Yeah, it, I think. Yeah, it, I don't think so. Either. I think it comes down to Get Out and Three Billboards. Um, Get Out just won the uh, Writers Guild Award for best screenplay, which was a little bit of a shock. And that has been part of the Get Out momentum that's been happening in the past few weeks where Universal's really been pushing for people to be reminded that Get Out, you know, was a pretty groundbreaking film and still a very relevant film in the times we are in. Uh, they're idiots who are released in February, to be honest. Yeah. But, I, I mean... But they didn't know what they had. I don't think they know what they knew what they had, exactly. And I don't think... I don't think everybody... I don't think 
like the critics even when the movie came out or like the people who had seen the movie when it first came out the first couple weeks like I don't think everyone necessarily knew what we were looking at that it was going to be a best picture nominee I think a lot of what brought this movie through the summer and the fall and into the winter it just stayed in the consciousness and it was always a topic of conversation that's not to discount the movie whatsoever because it's a a great message as well as a great film Mm -hmm. it's beautifully put together um, has some great acting performances and as a directorial debut from Jordan Peele, mm-hmm. it's extremely impressive. Yeah, and I think the Academy wants to award Get Out with something. Definitely. And I don't think uh, Jordan Peele will win director. I, and, you know, even though there's been this big momentum for Get Out, I don't think it'll win Best Picture. But I, I think it's going to win Original Screenplay. I think you're right. I think... I personally think of Get Out and Lady Bird um, sort of in the same category obviously they're very different stories um yeah they're kind of tied for third place in a lot of stuff yeah and and it's you know both of them are directorial debuts um both of them have kind of a strong emotional themes to them um and they're both kind of like the indie like young flick that you know kind of people are rooting for so i think they're gonna probably cannibalize each other a little bit in in some of the voting i don't think they have enough to win Best Picture, and I think they probably hurt each other in the other categories where they might have shot, like original screenplay or directing. Yeah, and I and uh, so with that note, though, you can see why Get Out would win original screenplay. Uh, and if Three Billboards wins, I think uh, that's going to be an indication that it will uh, definitely be picking up uh, a, uh, potentially a few more awards, including Best Picture. Because uh, Academy does love to pair stuff up together. That's true. We talked about that. All right, so, uh, and I'll talk more about Three Billboards when we get to Best Picture. Um, So what else is our next category? Uh, Our next category is Best Score. Mmm, this is a great one. What what are our nominees, Kevin? I'm trying to find it. Original Score, I got it. It's uh, Dunkirk by Hans Zimmer. Classic. Phantom Thread by Johnny Greenwood. Yeah. The Shape of Water, which is Alexandre Desplat. Mm-hmm. Star Wars The Last Jedi by John Williams. Mm-hmm. And Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri by Carter Burwell. Yeah. Uh, thoughts? I think it's going to come down to Johnny Greenwood and uh, Alexander Desplat for Shape of Water. Yeah, really. Um, Johnny Greenwood, I just saw Phantom Thread recently and I loved it. It's fantastic. And Johnny Greenwood's score, I believe they said is played a total of 90 minutes throughout the film. Wow. And it's a, a little over two hours. So almost like three-fourths of the film is, is included there's score. there's music in the background? Yeah. Wow. He famously was the favorite to win uh, for There Will Be Blood. Oh, but, uh, okay. But was disqualified because some of his music had been used earlier in other albums. Oh, okay. And he didn't have enough original material, and a lot of people are mad about that. So some people think that Johnny Greenwood is going to win, uh, because of that, kind of like it's his redemption story. And uh, he's just done some fantastic soundtracks for uh, Paul Thomas Anderson in the past. Um, but I think The Shape of Water is going to win. So the there are other kind of more grand, what I think of as like typical... Whimsical... No, no, no. I think of mm. Star Wars, The Last Jedi, and Dunkirk, like Hans Zimmer and John Williams. Mm-hmm. Those two are like mainstays in this 
in this award, I feel like. Yeah. Did Hans Zimmer get nominated slash win for Inception? That's a good question. I'm not sure. I'm sh I would be surprised if he's never won an Academy Award. But you never know. Maybe he will win this year. If I had to pick a third, I'd probably pick Dunkirk. Yeah, I think... Yeah, I that, w that was probably what I liked most about Dunkirk. Mm -hmm. was was the music and the atmosphere of it. Mm. Um, all right, let's move on to our next category because we're going to keep this uh, rolling along. Yeah. Best song. And this is where Kevin and I have actually been... It's probably the l least popular category that you and I have been talking about for the past couple weeks. Yeah. And that's because I watched a little movie called Call Me By Your Name and uh, the, the bard, Sufjan Stevens, he messed me up, man. He really did. I'm sure. Two songs. I didn't know there who were two he songs was until a few when I first saw the movie. Are you kidding me? I have. I thought I was like I didn't know who he was. I was like making jokes like I know who this guy is. Everyone's like, you don't know who such Jen Stevens is. <laughs> when I was a junior in high school, he changed my life with Chicago. <laughs> I was like, okay, I didn't know. I'm so sorry. I never listened to him. Uh, so obviously, he he made two really beautiful songs for Call Me by Your Name. One is called Visions of Gideon, which plays during the credit sequence. A really is beautiful shot. Is it a video? For the love of... All right. No, I'm, <laughs> we can't, I'm we not going to do it. Yeah, because we're going to do something for Mystery at Love, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but he also had another beautiful song, which actually got nominated, called Mystery of Love, which plays during the movie, sort of when Oliver and Elio are first falling for each other. Mm -hmm. It's very beautiful. Um and I listened to it twice today just to get myself in the mood for this podcast. And it's, I don't know, man, it just makes you think about love and, and, and beauty and... Nature. And, yeah, just like the beautiful parts of life in our world. Um, and skip to uh, 5115 of the Jaws of Revenge podcast where we do a little uh, improv uh, parody of it. About the Jaws movie so far that we've watched. Ellen Brody got a shout out. Yeah. <laughs> Talked about sharks eating people. It was yeah. a weird, uh, it was a weird parody. It really departed from the original. And while I love uh, Mystery of Love, I don't think it has a shot of winning. No, I'm I don't looking think forward it does. to seeing uh, Sufjan uh, perform it. Oh, he, at the oh that's right, he is. Oh, that's I exciting. He's going to show up in person to perform. So I'm looking forward to that. But I think this is a race between Remember Me by Coco and uh, This Is Me by The Grey Showman. But we have to give a shout out to Mary J. Blige for Mighty River because I believe she's the first person to be ever nominated for an acting award and an original song award. In from the same, the same movie. From the same Not movie in the same, same year. year. Yeah, but from the same movie. Mm -hmm. Which is, uh, yeah, that's uh, very cool. And so I think she's probably a third, but I think it's between. Because the Grey Showman song won the Golden Globe. Uh, but Remember Me, you know, it's kind of like that emotional Pixar song. Yeah. It's about, you know, remembering your ancestors, your heritage, tradition, um, you know, and it was a cute movie that a lot of people really liked, so. And I think I'm going to, on my ballot, put Remember Me, but if The Greatest Showman wins, I will uh, understand that, because that is a weird movie. Look up, like, the Wikipedia of it, the box office trend of it, it's very weird. <laughs> it's, it's, it's carrying itself through the season. Yeah, for sure. Plateauing out pretty hard. It made its money back in, so. All right, uh, our next category is best editing. Yeah, this one's uh, pretty interesting. It's a it's a very weird uh, collection of films. Uh, I'll read them out. Please do. Uh, we've got Baby Driver. 
Oh. Which, of course, was edited along with the music. And we should have talked about Baby Driver earlier when, when we were talking about good, fun movies from the year. That... Yeah, not spectacular. No, but dude, you came back from the theater after seeing you were like, oh, Baby Driver, so great. You I might have had a few. gotta go see. <laughs> I might have had a few. Oh, oh no. No, but uh, I, did, I did enjoy it. Um, and I think it actually is probably the favorite to win editing. Uh, I don't think Dunkirk will win, which is another nominee. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think I, Tanya will win. Uh, and then the other two nominees are The Shape of Water and Three Billboards. And so I think if maybe either Shape of Water or Three Billboards is on a trend of like picking up awards because they were, they're, you know, favored to win Best Picture and you're, you know, grabbing the awards you can so you can validate choosing it for Best Picture, uh, either those two could win. Okay. But honestly, on my ballot, I think I'm going to put Baby Driver because its editing is spectacular. And in the past, the Academy, uh, last year they awarded to Hacksaw Ridge. What? Oh. Yeah, surprisingly. I think I'll throw my support behind I, Tanya for this one because mm. I went to that movie and didn't get as much out of it as I thought I would. But the like, what I took away from it was that there were points in the movie that just like gave me chills and that was that was definitely partly due to how I was shown the story and how they did those segments on the ice and that sort of thing but did you but get it, I Tanya who was trying to do Goodfellas uh, yeah did you get it was trying to do Goodfellas yeah so it's kind of copying that ending style in my opinion a little um, yeah you're not wrong there mm -hmm. um all right so let's move on let's do sound editing I think to be to be clear, I think uh, I I didn't specify, but we were just talking about best film editing. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll quickly talk about best sound editing nominees being Baby Driver once again, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, mm -hmm. Dunkirk, The Shape of Water, and Star Wars. So it's basically a repeat, except we're subbing in I Tanya for Blade Runner. Yeah, uh, this I think something that Dunkirk's gonna win. Okay, good. What do you think? Um, you think Baby Driver is stronger in film editing than sound editing? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm not going to argue with well, you about it's, that. Well, it's hard to not pick the war movies in these. Yeah. That's the only yeah, thing. And I know it's going to be a mistake when I put down uh, Dunkirk in both sound mixing and sound editing. And I'll probably get one of those wrong, but it's, it's just hard to not pick. Do you think there's a shot at Star Wars winning either of these, film or sound? Potentially, probably but it's sound made for right? both. Probably sound more than anything. Sound mixing or editing. Sound editing. Yeah, I don't know. It's always tough. Do you choose lasers over World War Two bullets, or do you choose? Uh... Personally, yes. Yeah. And and the best part of the movie when there was no sound at all. Mm. But you can't be nominated for no sound. No, nah, you can't. No. <laughs> there's no bad, there's no category best no sound part. Yeah. This Stanley Kubrick award for uh, no sound in a film. All right, next on our list of categories, uh, we're getting to the good stuff now. Best supporting actor. Sam Rockwell, mark it on your... Uh... Can you read him out first, okay. sir? Well, his biggest challenger is Willem Dafoe for The Florida Project. Uh, Woody Harrelson for three billboards as well. Richard Jenkins, who I thought was very understated uh, in The Shape of Water. 
Christopher Plummer for taking over uh, Kevin Spacey, uh, <laughs> yeah. All the Money in the World, and Sam Rockwell for Three Billboards. So you think it's going to go to Sam Rockwell? You don't think he and Woody are going to take votes away from each other and let old Willem, William Daffo? Well, the weird thing, one of the weird things about Three Billboards is that people have a lot of problems with the movie, but they don't have problems with the actors' performances in the movie. So you think the Academy is going to take into consideration not give best film or or uh, direction to to three billboards, but might award some of the acting performances? Is I believe so. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Yeah, because you know, you, the fact that Sam Rockwell kind of could transform the character the way he could, and Sam Rockwell has been an actor that's been around for a while, and even though I think he's only in his mid forties. Uh, or late 40s, I would guess. Yeah. He's still one of those actors that's kind of always been around, always given great performances. He's a great interview. I've, I've heard yeah. a few podcasts with him, and he's he sounds like a generally pretty awesome dude and has a lot of very interesting insights and things to say. Exactly. And Christopher Plummer's already won. Uh, and though, if I had to pick my one of my wow, favorites... Wow, hold on. Christopher Plummer is, is the father from Sound of Music, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. That just came to me. Von Trapp. Yeah. Von Trapp Dad. Mr. Von Trapp. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Sorry for that that little interruption. Um, no, he's a ninety year old man. He's a he's an old dude. All right. Let's move on to supporting actress. Uh, mm-hmm. The nominees are Mary J. Blige from Mudbound, Allison Janney from I Tonya, Leslie Manville from Phantom Thread, Laurie Metcalf from Lady Bird, and Octavia Spencer from The Shape of Water. Mm-hmm. Thoughts. Uh, you can take out uh, Mary J. Blige yep, and Octavia can. Spencer. Mm-hmm. And that's those three. Uh, and it's those three. So you got Allison Janney from I, Tonya, Leslie Manville from Phantom Thread, and Laurie Metcalf from Lady Bird. Yeah, and this is kind of going to be, what are you choosing? Because there are three different, really, actresses and performances. Allison Janney's is very showy in I, Tonya. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's a very fun role. But I'm kind of surprised. <laughs> it's a very fun role. Oh, I, I mean, if I was Allison Janney, I'd be like, oh, fun to, fun to, fun to fulfill and fun to perform. Yeah, maybe. sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think. Uh... Well, I don't think the mom was a fun person. No, in real certainly life. not. Tony Harding's mom was a fun person to hang with. I mean, when I was a kid, did you ever love me or anything? You think Sonia Henny's mother loved her? Poor fucking you. I didn't stay home making apple brown Bettys. No, I made you a champion. Knowing you'd hate me for it. That's the sacrifice a mother makes. I wish I'd had a mother like me instead of nice. Nice gets you shit. I didn't like my mother either. So what? I fucking gave you a gift. He cursed me. Monster. Spilled milk, baby. Um, unless you have a very dark sense of humor. Yeah. But when you watch it on film, yeah, it's very fun. Um, but I'm surprised that she's getting so much credit for it when she has been on a sitcom where she plays a terrible mother. Um, on that sitcom Mom. Oh, yeah, that's right. So, I, I don't know. I, I like the performance, but I'm very surprised she's been kind of dominating the awards. And that's why I think this is a category where you can have a surprise uh, 
acting win. I will stump for Laurie Metcalf because that movie wouldn't have been what it was without her performance. Very true. She was the perfect mid-aughts mother um, and, you know, her relationship with... I mean, the characters' relationship between each other was the movie and um, changed and, and was shown as abusive. Uh, maybe not abusive isn't the right word, but, you know, testy and loving and... Stressed. And stressed and... Yeah, she that was a really good performance, and she's done some really cool interviews since then that people should go out and look for. And she's very well regarded as a, a fantastic uh, actress, uh, both on stage and yeah. small screen, and That's it's true. her first nomination, I believe. Oh, I didn't know that. So I think a lot of people. But I might write Leslie Manville on my... Having not seen Phantom Thread yet, I can't personally attest to it. It's uh, I, I need to see Phantom Thread within the next week. The thing about her performance is she plays a very... Um, sh a, a woman who puts herself in what appears to be a subservient role, even though she's truly the one who dominates the house, truly dominates Daniel Day-Lewis' character. Um, it's, it's a whole big you know theme of the movie. Yeah. Um, she, uh, you know... You can, you can go into it a little bit. Yeah, well, Daniel Day-Lewis' character is someone who uh, is a dressmaker, mm -hmm. and uh, he's he's from the House of Woodcock back in that couture, like, you know, 1950s London fashion scene. Okay. Uh, and kind of one of the things is uh, he tried to make a wedding dress for his mother, uh, and uh, that's a very big theme of it, whether he his mother actually liked his wedding dress he made, and oh. how that's kind of haunted him throughout time. And you kind of see that, he, I mean, his character is very immature. It's ve he's a very much a spoiled brat. He's a spoiled wow. artist. And it's funny. So Leslie Manville kind of plays the sister who never married, I believe, older sister. And her eyes in the movie are on a Tom Hardy level, if not better. Wow. The way she looks at characters, the way she stares down characters. Great. And, and I love that And it's total opposite from Alice and Janney. It's, it's a very... Subtle. There's only like one or two times that she really like goes at Daniel Day Lewis, and to watch Daniel Day Lewis like cower as both an actor and a character in like one or two scenes with Leslie Manville, it's pretty like holy shit. To be quite honest, that's so cool. Now and, that 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 makes me want to watch Phantom Thread more than anything else I've heard. That, I, that they just have they go at each other as characters only a couple times, and both times it's Daniel Day Lewis losing and. Mm -hmm. And slinking back as a, as a character. Yeah, it's it's a pretty fantastic film. It's one that you have to get through the first 30, 45 minutes of to kind of realize what uh, train ride you're on. Um, but I, I absolutely loved it, and it's one of those films that I want to uh, go see again. All right, we're going to move on to our next category to keep it moving here. Uh, still staying in the acting awards, looking at Best Actor. Mm -hmm. um, nominees are Timothée Chalamet from Call Me By Your Name oh boy. Daniel Day-Lewis of Phantom Thread yep. Daniel Kaluuya of Get Out Gary Oldman from Darkest Hour and Denzel Washington from Roman J. Israel Esquire yeah. ESQ Gary Oldman you think so? I did actually see Darkest Hour and I did not really like it that much and a lot of people have not liked it it kind of was one of those 
classic British films where it's like showing British resilience. <laughs> and it's like lots of, it's a mixture of like the character being like, we can't allow Hitler to come across the channel. <laughs> and a mixture of like, good show, Winston. Well done, you dog. And like uh, Chris has got Thomas plays Clementine Churchill. I believe that's her name. And she's always like, oh, Winston, you always are up to no good. <laughs> and it's a mixture of that, you know, and like kind of like, okay, we. And there's been so much Winston Churchill of late. I'm kind of sick of him. Uh, as an American, even. Yeah. But... Even though some of the lines are so expository, it, it borderlines on cringe. Yeah. It's it's terribly written film. <laughs> but it's decently directed, and there's no denying Gary Oldman's performance through all the prosthetics, through all the makeup. And the Academy loves to kind of honor those roles. I, I think Gary Oldman is one of those fascinating, super adaptable actors. Yeah. And, and for that, I, I can see him winning this one. Yeah. The only thing that might come in there is uh, the new generation of Academy voters that they've been adding of late. Yep. Uh, voting for Chalamet. Timothée. Timothée. Timothée Chalamet. Um, and if I had to choose a performance, I would choose Timothée over Oldman. Old man. Old man. <laughs> That's funny. Gary Oldman. Yeah, but Chalamet's then, performance in Calling By Your Name definitely stuck with me. But on my official Oscars ballot, I'm trying to win on Sunday. It's, it's going to be Gary Oldman. I'm checkmarking. Okay, so in spirit, you're you're feeling like it could be Chalamet, but the if my bra- if my uh, yeah brackets busted, uh, you'll be okay. If with my that. ballot's busted, I'm I'm rooting for Chalamet. Okay. It'll be towards the end of the night anyway. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I I would like to see Chalamet win. I think uh, his performance, it it. I almost I I think I identified with it and it just made me feel like a kid again. Yeah. He really did that well. He was a a rich Jewish kid living in Italy, but somehow made you see past that and uh, made you see a coming of age love story. Um, and it was pretty beautiful. All right, let's do lead actress. Mm-hmm. Um, nominees are Sally Hawkins from The Shape of Water, Frances McDormand from Three Billboards. Margot Robbie from I, Tanya, Saoirse Ronan from Lady Bird, and Meryl Streep from The Post. Well, I... Yeah? I've seen... I still need to see Shape of Water and Three Billboards. I Meryl Streep was really, really good in The Post. But weirdly, I don't think she's got any shot of winning this year. Why do you say that? Uh, I think this is a race between Sally Hawkins and Frances McDormand. Or... Either Margot Robbie or Robbie? Margot Robbie? Margot Robbie, I think. Because she produced I, Tanya, and this was a passion project of I, Tanya. Kind of like she got it off the ground. She might be rewarded for that. Oh. Scherzer Ronan is like an Academy darling. That's so true. So she might be, you know, wild card awarded for that. Uh, so are you saying it's an open field here? Do you think any, anyone can win it? I think this? it's a more open field than people are uh, giving it credit for. And usually every year there's an acting surprise, and if it's not supporting actress, it will probably be in lead actress. And I think that surprise would be Sally Hawkins beating Frances McDormand. Interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, oh, I'll just say real quick about Sally Hawkins. Please do. If you don't mind, because uh, her character in Shape of Water is someone who is uh, mute and has to use sign language, and she's taught herself sign language. She has to dance in a scene. Wow. Uh, she has to, you know, pull off. Uh, heist she has to you know 
interact with all these characters in a way that's nonverbal. It's a it's a fantastic performance, and I think more people have been appreciating that performance of late. And uh, of course, we'll talk about Three Billboards more. But I think some people, even though Frances McDormand has been uh, winning most of the awards, if not all of them, might be getting a little fatigue of the film and her yeah. winning again. So That's a good point. I still have not decided who I'm going to pick on my ballot. And weirdly, I think I'm leaning towards Sally Hawkins. Hmm. I don't, I'm, based on what you, how you described it, I don't, I don't think that's weird. That sounds like a, a very interesting performance and to be completely nonverbal throughout the whole movie and get your acting out just through your, you know, your body. And mm -hmm. that, that's, that's something to be argued for. All right. Uh, let's do best director. Yeah. Um, the nominees are Christopher Nolan for Dunkirk, Jordan Peele for Get Out, Greta Gerwig for Lady Bird, Paul Thomas Anderson for Phantom Thread and Guillermo del Toro, Shape of Water. Yeah. What do you think, Kev? I still do not know. Uh, like I said in the cinematography conversation with Roger Deakins, I think if Hoyt Van Hoytema wins for cinematographer, um, Nolan's going to win for Dunkirk. Uh, but not a lot of critics are picking Nolan, uh, weirdly. And some critics have even gone, gone so far to pick uh, Jordan Peele or Greta Gerwig. Uh, I'm not quite sure if I would... If I had to put money on either one of them, that I would. Yeah. Even though, you know, they should be more rewarded for their writing, I think. Yeah. I'm glad they were nominated for directing. I think it's, it, they deserved it, both of them. Mm -hmm. Very much over someone like freaking Ridley Scott. Yeah, definitely. But uh, I don't think their movies were made... Well, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, th I think what you said before about there being very good writing and acting in those movies is what took it over the top more so than, you know, the the shots that we see or the how the movie progresses. And whether you thought, like, Dunkirk was boring because it didn't have characters, there's no denying that Dunkirk is a well-made film, a beautiful film, a film that took time and effort for a director to make. Mm-hmm. And even though it doesn't have a screenplay nomination and doesn't have any acting nominations, th the craft of making Dunkirk alone could propel Nolan to get uh, his first Oscar on his first nomination. And I think I am going to pick him on my ballot, but I think the Academy would honor Guillermo del Toro as the auteur that he is. And I think that, uh, you know, they would love him for kind of doing his vision and that yeah. he won the Golden Globe, so... You know, maybe it's the safer bet to pick him. It doesn't seem like a lock for anybody, or even like a 50-50 shot for anybody. It seems like it's a, it's a split field, and that excites me. Exactly. And, and we'll get the best picture, but um, it's one of those directing as well, where it's like, well, if Nolan doesn't win or Guillermo del Toro doesn't win, I'd be happy if Jordan Peele won, or I'd be happy if Greta Gerwig won. Yeah. Or I'd be happy if Paul Thomas Anderson won. Hell yeah. Uh, so this Oscars is very much, instead of it being like two battling out and you pick your favorite of the two movies mm -hmm. or films sorry films these are films yeah these are films uh it is one where it's like okay i think this is gonna win because the evidence points to it yeah but if this wins it's it's kind of fun to watch it now with that being said let's get to the the big show the uh the, the last one of the night best picture we've got nine nominees yep and they are Call Me By Your Name, Darkest Hour, 
Dunkirk, Get Out, Lady Bird, Phantom Thread, The Post, The Shape of Water, and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Mm-hmm. Kevin, get on your stump. Talk to me about Three Billboards. Well, Three Billboards is my favorite movie of the year. Um, and I'm going to say up front that it is be- probably because of my Mark McDonough bias. I'm a huge fan of his. In Bruges is one of my favorite films of all time. I love reading his plays. I've seen some of his plays performed live. He does my humor so well. And it's a mixture of taking very rev- big ideas and relevant ideas and throwing morally gray discussion into it with morally gray characters and interspersing that with very comedic moments, very, you know, uh, sometimes immature and sometimes like weirdly esoteric. And you could humor. you could definitely see that all from from even just from the trailer. Yeah, the the, the people that cut the trailers for Three Billboards did a good job representing the movie. I think. But uh, weirdly, a lot of people are not fans of this film. Do you want to know what I heard? I heard that people uh, there are some people saying, and I'll I'll give a shout out to. Um, the Ringer. There's some people in you know in their podcasts and their writing that say that Three Billboards is like uh, Crash Number Two. Mm. That it's it's just kind of a you know throw a bunch of characters together. It's about race and about the law and and um, police and about issues of mm-hmm. class and race and uh, who has authority and power in the United States. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was very interesting having not seen the movie that it was compared to what's largely argued as the worst best picture uh, winner ever. I think, yeah, it's, it's between that and Driving Miss Daisy. <laughs> oh, Driving Miss Daisy one. That's considered one that was like, what, that one? That and Shakespeare in Love. Oh, jeez. Yeah. But I, I will say this. The difference is with three billboards, it's kind of up against competition that's universally liked, if not loved. Uh, everybody really enjoyed Lady Bird. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not many people really loved Lady Bird, especially, you know, a big chunk of the Academy of Voters who are older men. <laughs> it's been reported in trade <laughs> magazines true. that now many of the, you know, older men are too fond of Lady Bird, even though as a young man, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, I don't think you have to be, I don't think you have to be a woman to, uh, to like this movie. I think it's a, it's a lot of, you know, people our age who were growing up around the turn of the millennium and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's an, it's a coming of age story. Yeah. Young people are going to like it. And it's not like Shape of Water where it's like, oh, this is a magical fun ride. It's not like Get Out where it's like, oh, this is a socially relevant movie that's educating me, and I like that it's educating me. This is a movie that shoots for the stars, and it does it in a way that's very very morally gray and doesn't kind of push its point of view onto the viewer. It's kind of, that's the difference, is I think a lot of people went out of three billboards, because the ending is very vague and ambiguous about what's going to happen next. A lot of people left three billboards going, that's the ending. And while I thought it was the perfect ending for the film, uh, a lot of people don't like that the film didn't answer all of its questions. And I think that was 
very reminiscent of life right now. It's a film of... Ah, I see. You're not going to get answers to all of these problems we're having right now. So you're saying the best picture is the big picture. Exactly. <laughs> it's a movie about the Me Too movement. It's a movie about uh, where, you know, Trump's America is going. Mm -hmm. It's a movie about how small towns adapt. It's a movie about how people interact with each other in this time where it's so much harder to, you know, act with each other. It's a movie about a woman who is angry and upset and trapped in this town where these men are, you know, not allowing her voice to be heard. Okay. And I think it's interesting that people now are putting up billboards. <laughs> Three billboards outside Philadelphia. Yeah. yeah. Three billboards uh, outside Parkland. For, oh, for, that's um, true. Gun rights. It's a. It's one of those films that if you're going to be upset by something, it's you're not going to be able to get over it. Very much how we're heading as a society now. Mm -hmm. So if you have a very strict, ardent opinion, hard opinion about something, and you're not necessarily able to get past seeing it minorly disagreeable in three billboards, it's going to be tougher for you to like this film. And I've had some great conversations with people who were very uncomfortable in the film. And they gave great points. Um, shout out to a new friend of mine, Sophie, who I just talked to on Sunday about it. Uh, we had a great conversation. And I, I really like morally gray films. And I really like Martin McDonough. Mm -hmm. And I really like that this movie had characters that had arcs and characters that didn't change. Because that's how kind of life is. Some people change, but most people don't. I think... I really related to it more um, than I have with a couple other Best Picture nominees. Others were more like this was just a fun ride, or this is fairly enjoyable, or this was really escapism. Okay, so what, what you related to, what, what others would you say you related to? Like, not quite as much as Three Billboards, but see, so I look at this and I see Call Me By Your Name, Get Out, and Lady Bird feel like the young people's, mm -hmm. like, I don't know. Some of them are more about love and others are about fear and, and you know, um, taking over of bodies and, and snatching of, of you know, histories and others are about growing up and going to college. But I feel like those are like the young people's movies, like the ones that I personally identify with. But then I see the post and I saw that a couple weekends ago and that was just like a, a perfect Steven Spielberg movie. Well, there's always one year best there's picture always... that your parent is going to tell you in three years they saw on TNT and yeah. thought it was just delightful. Yeah. I, I, I anticipate, is. well, I, probably not three years. Yeah. Eric will probably watch this as, one in about six months. As my mom said after uh, she watched Sully, that was just the perfect movie. <laughs> so uh, There's it's, 45 perfect movies a year. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I think the post was good. I wouldn't be surprised if it was up there in the voting. Um... I think Get Out and Lady Bird uh, hurt each other uh, by being the indie darlings. and. Well, I think if there's one that's going to win that's not Shape of Water or Three Billboards, it's going to be Get Out. Oh. Yeah. I would love to see that. I think a lot of people thought that would be Lady Bird a couple weeks ago, but now I think the momentum is towards Get Out. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, Kevin, do you have anything more to say? Anything else about the Oscars you're excited for? Well, after my whole Rappaport about <laughs> Three Billboards uh, being my favorite film, 
I think I'm still going to pick Shape of Water for Best Picture. <laughs> you shitbag. <laughs> well, You're just you... trying to win this stupid pool. I want a free Shape with your heart, dinner. asshole. Well, no, you get two ballots if you donate to charity. And I will obviously donate to charity to get that second ballot. And I will have my first ballot being what I think will win. And what my second ballot will be my crazy Kevin favorite ballot. And on my Kevin crazy favorite ballot, I will put three billboards. On my what I think I will, will win ballot, I will put Shape of Water. That disappoints me. Mm-hmm. But such is life. But if you have uh, one discuss three billboards, uh, it is like my favorite topic to talk about uh, because everybody has a different opinion about it. So please email Kick and Stream. Yeah, I'm going to have to watch it now and then we can argue about it. And if, uh, if anyone's listening out there and has something to say about something we said or anything else to argue about, Best mm-hmm. Picture nominees, you know, acting, um, you know, shout us out. We've got the mm-hmm. we got the email kicking and streaming pod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Email us your recommendations for shitty movies. Uh, tell us about how much you hate our takes. Uh, and then we also have a Twitter handle now, which mm. uh, I don't know if that if we had that last time, but uh, we're at your fave podcast. That's Y O U R F A V E. Podcast. I'm surprised I wasn't taken. I know, right? That's great. That's a great handle. It's a pretty good handle. I'm, I'm You're going to sell that in uh, two years for $100. <laughs> We've got two tweets. Ooh. Episode 7 and episode, episode 8. <laughs> and I'm guessing there's going to be a third tomorrow, which will be episode, episode 9. <laughs> Thank you for listening, folks. We're going to call it there. Have a good one. and uh, Good we'll luck on your Oscar ballots. Yeah, good luck. <laughs>